Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. On behalf of the Saturday Night Live at Pine Lake Speaker Meeting, please help me welcome tonight's speaker, Mike R. from Bend, Oregon. My name is Mike. I am an alcoholic. Um, worst day of my life was uh, June 13th, 1988. That was the last day I got drunk. Or actually, the day I think. It was about a three-day period that I wasn't too sure about. <laughs> That's the day I picked for my sobriety day. And the reason I called it the worst day is because at the time, that's what I thought it was. Uh, the reality of it is, it was the best day of my life um, because it got me to where I am right here. I'd like to thank everybody for uh, being here tonight. Mark, thanks for uh, <laughs> showing me around and taking care of me. And uh, thanks for inviting me back. I actually was here once uh, a number of years ago. Um, I'm not from Bend, Oregon. I was there one time. Um, I'm from Bandon, which is on the coast, instead of, (laughs) not a big deal, but I gotta get it right. Uh, (laughs) I'm always better right than happy, right? (laughs) Little things you learn. (laughs) Um, the last 47 years I lived in Alaska. And, uh, I, uh, Due to some family issues, I had to move down to uh, Bandon and take care of my sister. She's special needs, and her uh, caretaker passed away. And I'm the last of the family, so uh, it's my job to be there. And lo and behold, I can show up. <laughs> That's a miracle, let me tell you. That's a miracle. Um, you know, I come from the Seattle area, believe it or not, when I was a kid. Someone today asked me where I grew up, and I had to set them straight. I've never grown up. <laughs> I'm 66 years old, and uh, my dad told me that growing old was mandatory and growing up was optional. <laughs> so I'm living the optional life, and I'm very happy with it. Um, to I was born, or I was, yeah, I lived in Rainier Beach area uh, for many years. I went to... Uh, Rainier Beach Junior Senior High School. I was the first class that went through both of them. You know, I look around. When I left here in 1968, 69, and moved to Alaska, I uh, I thought Seattle was in the surrounding area was as big as it could get. <laughs> Spending a lot of time staring at the pavement out the window of my car in the parking lot they call the freeway, I've learned that uh, it got a lot bigger. <laughs> um 
You know, I've, uh, I owe a lot to the program and what, what it is. Uh, my, my drunk log or my drinking deal is pretty, uh, pretty tame compared to a lot of people. Uh, it's not a bloody story. It's not, uh, you know, one last gasp and everything else. Uh, they cut me off at the kneecaps and I went, okay, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I started changing. They had the only thing that mattered to me. Uh, they had it, and uh, the only way I could get it back was by complying and completing. Uh, and so that's that's how I got here. It was a a forced intervention caused by me, <laughs> you know. So I'll get into that in a little bit. Living in Rainier Beach, um, you know, going to high school and stuff. I started drinking in uh, about thirteen, fourteen years old, something like that. Uh, I liked it, and uh, it made me feel special. Um, I. Uh, the thought of uh, the, the, our mantra was, let's get drunk and be somebody, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting at dinner table tonight and listening to some fellows talk about wearing helmets and, uh, and doing the stuff that people do now. And I thought to myself as I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong room. I never wore a helmet in my life. I rode motorcycles my whole life. I, uh, I always was the guy your mother warned you about. You know, uh, and uh, and that's the truth. So, um, the uh, that line of thinking just never really took with me, and in uh, my career too. And I was an airline pilot. Um, what uh, high school stuff? We just went out. We raised a lot of heck. We came out here. I mean, there was nothing out here. <laughs> and when I left here, there was nothing out here. And. Uh, and look at all of you. You're out here. So, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. My, uh, drinking didn't really take off, uh, until I was well established in Alaska. In, in high school, you know, I got in trouble a few times. It's pretty funny. Uh, nine out of ten times, if I was in trouble, I'd been drinking. You know, and, and I can only think of one time when I really screwed myself up that I was sober when I did it. And uh, that was in a motorcycle crash, believe it or not. And I spent six months in a hospital, a body cast, and everything else after that, which is now catching up to me. Um, the, uh, I had to go to the doctor the other day, and uh, what did he say? He said, you have severe osteo something or another of the hip due to an old injury, and it's probably in a lot of pain. And, and, and I talked to this nurse, and I said, I paid you 150 I knew that. <laughs> you know, I didn't need to hear this. Uh, so my next big event is going to be a hip replacement, I guess. Um, I'm not looking forward to that, but from what I hear, it works. And so I'm going to, I will actually give it a shot rather than being the pig headed guy that I usually am. I went to, uh, school for a little bit in Eastern Washington, Moses Lake and, uh, Big Ben Community College. They had a flight program there. I was, uh, I learned a long time ago that you know, I was, uh, I just couldn't make it stealing stuff. I was too slow. <laughs> you know, I get caught every time. And, uh, and I was too lazy to work. So the only option to me was aviation. And, uh, that's what I took. Um, I started flying down here, Lake Union Air Service, a few places like that back when I was just a kid. I mean, you know, seven, 18 years old, 17. And, uh, I had my pilot's license in high school. That's how I graduated. I uh, had one class that I had to pass, and I was not doing very well at passing it. And the teacher was a hunter. 
So I went up and spotted an elk for him uh, with a two-way radio. He got the elk, and I got a D. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I graduated. So that started it. Um, I'm not an intellect. <laughs> oh, God, am I not. Uh, that was the end of my schooling. That was uh, in 1968 I graduated. And, uh, you know, all that's all fine and daddy, and it's got really nothing to do with my alcoholism. My mom uh, was, uh, I, I come from a, when you look at families and life, I had four aces. I really did. You know, I had a good hand. And uh, it just took me to screw it up. You know, that's, and that's what I do best. If things are going good, look out. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to fix it. And uh, that's what I do best. So my mom, uh, she, she drank a little bit. She could have been an alcoholic, but we kept the booze away from her towards the end uh, because it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. And uh, my dad did that. My dad, I saw him drunk one time. And thank God he was drunk that night because I just destroyed his car in a uh, drag race that I lost. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my drag racing and, uh, and my fighting are about the same. I think I'm old for 10. <laughs> yeah, so um, I had a chance to go to Alaska in uh, October of 69, and I jumped on it. Uh, I needed to get away. My sister is special needs, and uh, I love her very much, don't get me wrong, but she's very hard to deal with sometimes. She's about a five to an eight-year-old on a really good day, and it's trapped in a 64-year-old body right now. And when I was a kid, she was through all my stuff, stealing my stuff. She got a new bicycle. I didn't, you know. <laughs> It was just terrible, and, uh, <laughs> you know, deprived. Uh, you know, so when I left, man, I needed to get away. My parents needed me to get away, too, because I was doing them in. And uh, so I went to Alaska, and I started up there working for an outfit called Northern Air Cargo. And uh, to go to work there, you had to have a size 18 neck and a size 2 hat, and I fit the bill. And... Uh, <laughs> So I went up there and I started flying these old, old World War II airplanes that were hauling freight. And we'd go places that uh, where there weren't airports with these big airplanes. We'd land on frozen lakes, sandbars, um, in the tundra, uh, certain places. And uh, it really, like I said, I'm a nonconformist in a lot of areas. And so I really like doing things that you can't be done. You know, I just, I just thrived on that. And that's what I did. And... Meantime, I'm living in a basement of this place. I made six hundred dollars a month until I got a haircut and a shave. Then I made six fifty. You know, <laughs> that was the kind of company it was. Um, there was another co-pilot there, that uh, Chuck, and we lived across the street from each other. And there was a little bar called the Trade Men's, the Breeze. And uh, we get off work and we go there and, you know, I didn't make enough money to drink. That was really the only reason I wasn't drinking. I was too broke, you know, and, uh, we go to the trade wins and we start drinking, you know, cause Chuck was a good pool player. So he'd win, uh, you know, game after game after game and I get to drink all night. It was a great setup. I loved it, you know, and then in the morning you stagger to work and uh, away you go. All my life I've had heroes. All my heroes have always been drunks, either in recovery or not, you know. And, and I remember watching 
from the trade goods bar. And that was through the treatment center. What the treatment center taught me was that AA is how I stay sober. They taught me all kinds of neat little stuff, lots of good information, but it had nothing to do with long-term sobriety. Uh, you know, and that's, that's my experience with it anyway. So I went through the treatment center and, uh, I'm, now I'm just out of work. Well, I was in the treatment center. There was a guy sitting across the hall from me, about my size, and his name is Jeff. And, uh, he'd look at me and he'd go, you ain't going to make it. Cause they said only like two out of the 10 of us were going to make it. And I says, well, you're obviously not going to cause I am. And, uh, I just told him that the other day when I was up in Anchorage. <laughs> we're still sober, both of us. We're to class of 88, you know. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's, it's really, for me, it was really important to have somebody to hang with when I first got here. By the way, is there anybody in the first 30 days here? Right on. Let me tell you something. Welcome to the most important, fastest growing movement on the planet Earth that nobody wants to join. You know, if you're here, it's because your life sucks, you know, and that's the God's truth, you know, because if it don't, you probably won't stay, you know, that, that, the gift of desperation, right? So welcome. I wish you guys every, all the best. I teamed up with some, with my buddy Jeff, a couple other guys, and we hung and we did everything together. We didn't quite understand the steps or sponsorship or any of that other stuff, but we did as we just looked at each other and went, oh my God, what are we going to do now? You know, and then what would happen is we go, well, let's go fishing. So we go fishing, but we didn't drink. We did that for about 30, 40 days. Finally, Jeff says, you know, we ought to get one of them sponsors and try that out. <laughs> you know, so I went, well, okay, let's do that. And we did. We got the same guy, the poor guy, you know, because <laughs> <And laughs> he's, uh, he's about as screwed up as I am. So <laughs> we, uh, yeah, you know, we got a guy and we started going through the steps. And that changed everything. And, and he was a really, really good guy. He had some really great sayings and he had a good way of looking at things that I could understand. He'd been through the steps. He only had six months, but, uh, he, uh, he's the guy that I needed and he's the guy Jeff needed. And, uh, so we started, uh, the three of us hanging out all the time now. And, uh, it was a really special, fun time. It was really great because I didn't have to go to work because they wouldn't let me work. And uh, I had all this time on my hand. And so, you know, we went about doing recovery stuff. And uh, if you can find somebody like that, you can do something like that. Let me tell you, it'll make the first year a heck of a lot easier. You know, like with Jeff and I, it's been almost 28 years now that uh, we've been helping each other do that. So that kind of stuff that happens, you don't, that, you don't get that at the bar. <laughs> You know, you don't get that to bar at all. Uh, they just want your wallet. Um, so, where was I? Okay. Jeff and I uh, started doing this stuff. We started doing the steps. Rick helped us and uh, directed us through it. I remember um, I didn't want to do a four-step. You know, I read ahead in the book a little bit, and it had something about that ninth-step thing. So I thought, if I don't tell them anything about that stuff, I won't ever have to say anything, and I keep that to myself. Oh, that'll work good. I'm here to say it doesn't. <laughs> I didn't go out, but I should have. I uh, we hung out. We just did what we had to do, and when I finally 
realized that I was never going to get my license back unless I did the program. It's just one of those thoughts. We get You get lots of abstract thoughts when you're alone with your brain, and your brain's as sick as mine. You know? And so I put everything on to getting the four-step done to get my ticket back. And so I feverishly went about it. A good four-step, like mine, was about uh, five and a half months of procrastination and about an hour's worth of work. <laughs> you know? And they can all be that way. Or you just, you know, in the book, you know, Bill says immediately, you know, followed up immediately. The only break you get's an hour on the, uh, you know, the sixth step. So, <laughs> yeah, started doing the deal. And I got the results for doing the deal. That's the bottom line. And uh, the day that I gave away my fifth step to my sponsor, which was a great story, um, that... Next morning, my license was in the post office at my house, and I went back to work. Now, I'm not saying that's uh, anything other than uh, whatever you want to call it, but I tell you what I think it is. <laughs> so that was kind of one of those deals. I'm not a parking lot God kind of guy. If I get that parking lot, I'm going to be good for a week, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't do that. I don't like tests. If God ever talked to me in a voice that I could hear, I'd probably just fall over dead right on the spot. I'd just as soon hear it from somebody two tables away at dinner, you know, as, oh, I could use that. You know, or hear it at a meeting when someone shares it. Ah, I could do that. So, at any rate, um, I got that done, and I got back in the cockpit and started flying. And, and let me tell you, it was... Every day was bliss. I was so happy to go to work. When I go through security, years later, I ran into one of the security cops, and she goes, oh, it's the happy pilot. You know? And I'm going, what are you talking about? She says, you were always nice, and you always came through, and you were always happy. And I was thrilled to be able to go to work. There's something about sitting at 37,000 feet watching the sun go up or just go down that is just so breathtakingly beautiful, you can't believe it. And... uh you know, and I got to enjoy that and see it. It says, you know, colors will come back. Well, let me tell you, they come back when you see that. And, uh, you know, so that, that was kind of the, the crux of how I got started. <laughs> um, my, uh, my mom passed away uh, just a few years ago, about four years ago, five years ago. My father um, was really, really in bad shape. And he uh, he had cancer. He had uh, he had given one kidney to his brother so his brother could live, and then his other one failed. And he was on dialysis, and he was on this and that, and it was just it was a real mess. Uh, and he was totally miserable living at home on this peritoneal dialysis. And I went down just before my fifth birthday to visit, and uh, he said, "I need to talk with you." And I'm going, "Uh oh." And he says, "Listen, I've been watching you." You're just coming up on five years in this AA thing. He says, uh, I can't take this life that I have anymore. I'm going to discontinue this dialysis. I'm all done. And I need to know that you're going to be able to take care of the family and that you're going to be there for them. And that's exactly what happened. Two days later, he was gone. A week later, I spread his ashes where he wanted them. You know, and uh, that left me, my sister, and my mom. And then five years ago, my mom passed away. And, you know, so now it was just me and this lady that took care of my sister. And she passed away here uh, Christmas time a year ago. Well, I had retired from work 
on, uh, was it December 12th? On the 24th, Christmas Eve, I showed up in Bandon, Oregon with uh, my wife in one car, me in a car, and uh, a buddy of mine driving another car. All the stuff we could stuff in them, and I've been in Bandon, Oregon ever since then, doing what it is that I'm supposed to do. You know, and it's not without its <laughs> problems, let me tell you. Um, but I still I can show up. You know, and that's really the, the bottom line. And for my dad to to get me to promise that, it was just it was it was uh, one of the most important things that ever happened in my life. He trusted me. You know, my dad was growing up, he was when he talked, it was either really funny or you better pay attention. <laughs> you know, and most of the time it was funny, thank God. He was a very successful businessman. Um, everything he did just worked, you know. And everything I touch undoes most of what he did. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, in the recovery side of it, uh, I started earlier when I said I, all my heroes have always been drunks. Talked about the watching the guys that were just drinking themselves to death. All my heroes now are sober drunks. I had an opportunity to spend a bunch of time with Sandy Beach. I don't know if any of you heard of any of his uh, stuff, but the guy is just an absolutely, he's done more for my sobriety than any 10 people. Sandy uh, came to Alaska to talk at a, uh, a roundup we had, and I took him flying. And he's in his 75 then, I guess. And I did a bunch of stuff with the airplane you're not supposed to do. I'd knock some guy off the snow machine buzzing him. You know, I flew up a glacier at three feet, did all this crazy stuff that I love doing. And uh, and he just grinned ear to ear. And it cemented a friendship that lasted for a long time. He uh, He's the most spiritual person I've ever met. And uh, his hero was Chuck Chambers. And, uh, you know, Sandy, uh, I watched him go through things that are impossible to believe and handled them so well. His daughter was murdered, bludgeoned, I mean, just killed. His second daughter calls him up, says, Daddy, you're sitting down. And he thought, well, somebody went out or something. So he says, yeah, I'm sitting down. And she says, you know, um, I can't remember her name, I'm sorry, but she's, she's dead. He says he took his breath away, sat down, and he said, in that moment, when you suck in that breath, he says, I said, okay, God, this is not going to change our relationship. I'm here for you. Whatever you want to do, I will do it. I forgive whoever did that. I don't know about you, but that is not on the first thing that comes to my mind that somebody killed my kid is forgiven. And that's exactly what he did. I was there. I saw it. I know he did it. And he lived his life that way. And uh, he said, God will help you with grief. He won't help you with the resentment. You know? So why waste all that time with the resentment? Get it over. Forgive him now while it's easier. And that's exactly what he did. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. It's just He was an amazing guy. He'd say things like, oh, he used to piss me off. He says, what's the matter, Red Dog? Not getting your way? And I go, yeah. And he'd go, try not having a way. <laughs> yeah, right. No, come on. What else you got? You know? <laughs> Problem is, he always had something. He's a storyteller. If you ever get a chance to listen to any of his stuff, it is so awesome. It is just absolutely wonderful stuff. Um, 
So Sandy has been a big part of my life. I'd go down every year to a, uh, the Far Corners retreat that he'd put on, spend a weekend there. And this uh, company I retired from, Flying Hercules, uh, Civilian Hercs, we had a simulator that was in Tampa, which was about five blocks from his house. And so I'd go down and run the simulators because I was a check pilot and a designated examiner. And I'd go down and run the simulator and do all that stuff. And I'd get to hang out with Sandy and uh, got to go around and do talks with him. And uh, it was just, it was the most exciting time. One of the most exciting times in my sobriety was hanging with him. Bob Bizantz, Howard Poland. I've, some of those guys, if you see here, they come here, don't miss them because they're great. They, they really are. They got great, great, great sobriety. Um, you know, when I was drinking, you ever have to have, make sure you got enough stash to go anywhere? You get to that point where, can I bring enough with me to be gone for 14 days? You know, I ran across that. I had a friend of mine come up. We we're going to go moose hunting, and I borrowed a De Havilland Beaver, which is a uh, it's a good size airplane. I would take five people and all their gear for a week hunt, and fly them out and drop them off. So I had my friend and I, a pallet of beer, and a sleeping bag, two guns, and some bullets. You know, and we were going. So. <laughs> We go roaring down Lake Hood trying to make the takeoff, and the thing wouldn't get on the step. You just got to get up on the step to get enough speed to fly. And I was so overgrossed it wouldn't do it. So I taxied back, and now I got a dilemma. So I got to load that beer. I got to have the sleeping bag, and I need the gun. We can leave one of them. And, uh, yeah. So well, what I did is I drank gas out of it. I'm going on a 14-day trip with no fuel anywhere. I'm leaving the gas and the water at Lake Hood so I can get in the air. You know, that's how I handled uh, baffling situations. I had cures for most everything. I could come up with a reasoning like that; it would work. Um, while I'm on the subject of flying, not that I ever got off it. Uh, when you're getting on an airplane, one of those airliners, and you look through the jetway and you see the guy sitting there, if you see him with the oxygen mask on. Just stop and watch. See how long he's on it. If he's enjoying it, get off the airplane. <laughs> in the, I, I had real high standards. My standards was I would never, ever fly an airplane drunk. Period. I just couldn't do it. It was against everything that I knew. Problem was my standards were getting away of my life. And uh, it, I couldn't call in sick anymore. I, you know, and it was getting pretty bad. So my solution to that one was I would go home, take a shower, and put on my uniform. I am now officially hungover, not drunk. And I'd get in the airplane and I'd fly all the paying people off. You know, so when, uh, and oxygen is how I got up. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you saw that Denzel Washington deal. That was well played. That was exactly how it worked. And, uh, and I was doing that way before him. <laughs> so when I was, uh, when I was young and starting his aviation career, I mean, people drank when they flew all the time. Way more than you ever want to even think about knowing. But uh, that's what happened. That's what people did. It's just like, you know, I got nine times I got pulled over for drunk driving tickets, and I don't have one of them. You know, try that these days. <laughs> you know, um, I knocked. I was playing chicken with a guy I thought. Turned out to be a cop, and I ran him into the ocean. 
in Dutch Harbor. Missed a turn, went flying off over to the bank through the fence out on the runway. And the uh, guy sitting next to me was stone cold sober. I don't know why I was driving, but <laughs> yeah, I just like doing, I just like driving, especially when I'm drinking. And uh, so he, uh, he says, get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car. And I really was trying. I just couldn't figure out how to get out of the car. <laughs> That's how wasted I was. And uh, I finally got out of the car. There's a group of people standing up around there. And here comes this cop, and he's wet from about here down. And he's really pissed off. <laughs> I mean, he is mad. Um, he uh, starts off on some deal about, uh, this is not one of the more things I'm very proud of, but I did it. Uh, he says, you know how many people died in Vietnam? And I said, no, I was in Canada, why? And uh, so we started right off. I have never once given a cop a bad time, any time, being pulled over for anything ever until that day. And that was the only time, but I did it. And finally, I says, look, I put my hands out. I says, just throw the handcuffs on and put me in jail. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want nothing. But remember this. I'm the only medevac pilot on this rock. So if you get a medevac while I'm doing my three days, they can die. And he turned around and walked away. That's when I became the official uh, designated driver. Every time we got drunk, I had to drive because I owned the island and they weren't going to give me a ticket. You know, that was towards the very end of my drinking. And uh, like I said, not proud of it, but I did it. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things we do. I'm very glad that uh, it's not an issue anymore. I, I can't count how many times I've been driven home, followed home. I even had my bicycle. <laughs> and the cops with the lights going next to me while I'm leaning with the bike trying to get it to the house from the bar because I wasn't going to get a drunk driving ticket. You know, uh, there's just lots and lots and lots of those kind of instances that happened. Um, I don't miss any of it. Um, my little girl is a uh, little girl. She's 40 now. When she was, when I was getting towards the end of my drinking, she was had her fill of me. And I did things like, little things like left her at the daycare center for two days, you know, because uh, I was off on a run and her mother wasn't around. And, uh, you know, I, I did a few things like that that are, that are beyond hurtful. There's no way to fix that. You just, you can't fix that. So when we got to the ninth step with my first sponsor, he says, uh, you know, we're going to make amends. Do you know what an amends is? And I said, yeah. I go up and tell him I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, no, you've used up that word, your allotment for five lifetimes. You don't ever get to say that. He said, uh, you're going to make amends. He says, if I go to this church over here and I break the window and I say, I'm sorry, that's just another whiny-ass uh, remark from you. He says, but if I clean it up, replace the window, and then change my behavior and don't throw any more rocks, he said, that's an amends. You pay them back their money. That was a hard one. Uh, you know, and okay, I, I'm good with all that. But I says, what do I do with my daughter? Because I was, I really wanted, <laughs> I wanted her in my life, and uh, he says we're going to make a living amends. And I go, well, that's fine. What's that? And he says, if, and it's only if, because she may never ever want to talk to you. She may have been absolutely right, and she may never talk to you again. But if she gets a hold of you, and you say you're going to do something, you do it. There is no 
no excuse on this planet not to do it. And uh, so I did it. She called for something. And when she graduated, she ran me all over Anchorage and just left right before I got everywhere she was at just to see if I'd show up. It took five years of being there and doing what I said to get that relationship back to where it's, uh, it's really cool now. You know, I got two grandsons. I get to hang with them, do all kinds of stuff. It's really, that was probably the, one of the most important things that happened to me in being sober. And that was, uh, that took a long time to get to that point. Like I said, five years of, uh, being run around. Um, she's an awesome kid. She's a great girl. Her husband's great. The boys are great. I got married, uh, I was married. I got divorced right before I got sober. And that was just a big mess. <laughs> you know, those things go. I'm an expert on marriage. I've done it three times. Um, the second wife, I married her. Uh, just say I'm shallow. Um, and, you know, it was all about the way she looked and nothing to do about her. And, uh, you know, and, and that's really what it boiled down to. Um, that was a very expensive marriage to get out of. <laughs> <laughs> very expensive because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And, uh, but it's gone now. As a matter of fact, I went by and visited my old hangar today because <laughs> she lives down here. Um, and then I met this lady in AA in Anchorage and uh, her name's Barb. And she's the one that, you know, I just finally, I've been chasing all over to get me hooked up with a girl because I'm sure I needed it. You know, and uh, my buddy Jeff said he did. He says, it's going to be you and me in a one-room hovel with a light bulb and grease on it. You know, and that's how we're going to die unless you get off your ass and do something. And <laughs> so what I did was I said, okay, God, if that's what it is, I accept that. Fine. I just quit. I'm all done. The next day I met Barb. You know, and uh, she was, uh, she had just relapsed. So I had to wait a year. You know, because my sponsor said, you're going to wait a year. And I waited a year and two seconds. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, we started dating and we dated for, uh, about eight years and, uh, we were engaged for five of them. And she says, are you going to like, uh, go to the bathroom or get off the pot? And, and I said, well, I want to be with you longer than I was ever married to any of the other ones, you know, before we get married, <laughs> you know, let's start this thing off that way. And, uh, and she had three kids. One of them is a uh, older boy who's he's 30 now. He's uh, he was a wannabe gangbanger, and he was doing home invasions and uh, a lot of the really nice stuff that uh, you see in the big cities. Uh, we have that in Anchorage, and uh, he was up there doing that. And uh, he was going to prison all the time. And uh, when on his 18th birthday, I threw him out of the house. Yeah, I took him down to the Brother Francis shelter. I said, if you want to leave here, live here with these guys, here you are. Get out of the truck. And I just drove away. I figured he'd beat me home, but he stayed out for four years. He's got five years sobriety now, you know, which is good. He still hates me and it's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with that. Uh, I got, uh, <laughs> the two girls, Jenny and uh, Gabriel. Gabriel, the first time I saw her, she had green hair for Christ's sakes. Yeah, yeah. As I was walking down to the, the, my house in, on the lake, we're having a, a barbecue, and, and I saw, oh man, that kid's going to be trouble. I can see, I need to run right now. And, uh, 
Come to find out, she's, she's not an alcoholic. She doesn't drink. And she's just this wonderful lady. She doesn't have green hair anymore either. <laughs> you know. And the other one was strikingly beautiful. And uh, I figured, you know, well, she's going to be no problem at all. Boy, was I wrong. You know, she just came up on a year again a couple days ago, or actually about a month ago. And she's doing really well. When the stepson was out on one of his drunks, he managed to get this lady pregnant. And she is a hardcore uh, meth head. Uh, you name it, she's got problems with it. She's not into recovery. I don't see it happening in the near future. And she, we had this beautiful little girl, Anna Vey Elise Bowles. And I, my wife had been adopted five times by the time she was seven. So I knew for a fact that I was getting a daughter. <laughs> you know, I just watched. I knew it was going to happen. It's exactly what happened. And it's the best thing that ever happened. This little girl is awesome. But she suffers from a thing called RAD, Reactionary Attachment Disorder. If you get, she gets close to you, she gets scared because none of her needs were ever met when she was a baby. And it's a, it's a long involved deal, but there's people that have figured out what goes on there. And we've been in this therapy with her and working with her and doing all this stuff, making new neural transmitters, basically. And it worked. She's doing great. You know, when I'm up here, when I get back to the hotel, she's going to call me. You know, and we're going to talk before she goes to sleep tonight. We do it every night. You know, those are the kind of things that happen if you hang around here. You know, like I said, I don't have a big bloody story to tell you. Sorry. But I ain't going back out to make it any worse than it was because it was plenty bad enough for me. I want to thank you all very much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.